right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. A snowy Thursday here. The weather continues to suck. Um, we're going to be Good joined. God. I, I said this on. I think, it was seventy on Monday. I know, and I said, and I think I even said this on the air Tuesday. I as long I've lived in Kansas as long as I've needed oxygen, which is a long time, and I never not. And it does this every damn year, and I'm never not shocked. <laughs> There's always a day where it goes from seventy to fifteen, and I it it never like I'm never surprised when it happens, but like the event itself just still. Like is perplexing to me. It's stunning. Yeah, so not fun weather, not fun current world events going on, but uh, I guess we'll try to brighten up your day a little bit here on RCST. Um, I mean, I was I was just giggling a little bit because that Fox News update just said they said duty and shaft in the same update. We're going to be joined by Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports, Fog.net, top of the 4 o'clock hour. Also going to get uh, some technical talk, <laughs> some NFT talk with Porter Grieve coming up. At about 4.45, we've also got Bill's self-audio to share for you today. He spoke with the media earlier at his uh, media availability just a few hours ago. Uh, KU right now is in a position where they control their destiny to win the Big 12. If they lose one game the rest of the way, they go 3-1 and one down the stretch, they still control their destiny to winning the conference outright. Even if they go 2-2 two and two the rest of the way, at worst, they would get a share of the Big 12 crown. Uh, but I do wonder, like, as you think about the importance of winning the Big 12, winning a Big 12 outright versus split, you know, there there are some years where, okay, if it's just a split, it's fine. And part of that might just be because Kansas isn't as good that year. Or maybe it's because there's another team in the conference that's really good that year. I think this year, it's also a lot more important. And that was another piece of it as well. Like when the streak was going on, it was just, just get it any way you can, whether it's a share or winning outright, but also right now when you have this, this two game lead in terms of the loss column on everyone or more, it would feel at least like maybe not a disappointment because it, it is still kind of a tough stretch coming up, especially with Baylor on Saturday, but it would be maybe a little, a little bit of a letdown if you ended up tying up in this thing. And I also think in regards to all the conversations we've had about would you rather be a one seed would you blah 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 like clearly you want to get the highest seed you can you want to do all these things your best chance of getting a one seed and honestly maybe your only chance of getting a one seed unless you tie the conference regular title and then win the big 12 tournament you probably have to win the league outright uh, that that's your best best chance I agree I do think that the advantage you know the 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 biggest thing about um winning if you tie it at 14 and 4 the best thing in the thing working in your favor as far as winning the Big 12 conference tournament is um that would probably mean at the very least another win over Baylor or Texas Tech probably yeah, I, Texas Tech 
Well, um, here's the thing. If if you I, I wouldn't want to leave it to that though. If you go um fourteen and four in conference play. Now I, I don't know what happens if all three teams go fourteen and four. I don't know what the tiebreaker is, but I believe the tiebreaker after head to head, if it were hypothetically, if it were just Kansas and Tech were both fourteen and four, I believe it goes to how you did head to head against the next best team, which Tech swept Baylor. Kansas obviously did not in this circumstance that gets them to another loss. Well, that could mean that they'd have to beat Baylor and Tech. That's then. what I'm saying. Which so, which, which would be benefit. I mean, it would it, be. It would be tough to do. That's the problem. But yes, it would be tough to do. But if they pulled it off, it would add two more. Because um, right now, uh, it's kind of funny. I can't remember. I sent you the tweet, and I, I feel bad. I can't remember who pointed it out. But College Game Day, the last time College Game Day was there for was in Waco for Kansas versus Baylor. Uh, Baylor and Kansas both led the the country in quad one victories, and that's the case again as as College Game Day gets ready to go to uh, to Waco this Saturday. So it's kind of an interesting. Um, both of these teams have have a lot of big wins, and if you're in the Big Twelve, you've got a, a lot of high level wins because everybody's a top fifty team. It seems. Um, but yeah, I I just assume, especially I mean. I don't know. Fifteen and three is a really. I mean, look, sixteen and two is not out of the question yet. It's not out of the question until they lose another game. Um, but sixteen and two, fifteen and three. That's a really good mm-hmm. in, in this conference. That's a that's a, an outstanding record. Yeah, I, and I, if you can pull that off, I would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, if if they win the conference outright, to me, I think it does give them a little bit of leeway that if you do get upset in the the semifinal round, that you can still get a one seed. There's just so much competition this year. For one seeds more than normal. Let me, sorry, let me ask you this real quick. Do you see? I guess there is a clear difference, but how big of a difference do you see in winning the conference outright at fifteen and three or better, with the closest team to you being fourteen and four, versus Baylor and Texas dropping another and Kansas wins it outright at fourteen and four? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess maybe that's more of the conversation get better than 14 and four yeah because it's more about the implied hey we lost two more games down the stretch so yeah maybe that's the better way to put it if Kansas goes 14 and four which theoretically puts you in danger of splitting the conference instead of winning it outright then I do think there is work to be done in the conference tournament and I think in that situation the only way you do get a one seed is if you win the conference tournament now again if you go 15 and three or 16 and two it might not even matter what happens in the Big 12 tournament. I guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But that's why, especially with this weekend, like if if you win this weekend and then let's say even you get upset in Fort Worth on Tuesday, but then you win the next two and you finish 15-3 and three and you swept Baylor, it, it's going to be hard keeping them off the one line. It just is. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know if I... Like maybe this is too far. There's still four games left, so I don't know. This is probably putting the uh the horse before the wagon is that the right term or the car you don't want to put the, the cart before the horse so I, I don't know all, all confusing with the whatever's wagon, supposed in quote, front right? you don't want the thing that's supposed to go in back <laughs> okay. to be in front so that's saying but if KU does win out there is a possibility they get the number one overall I mean think about how many wins that would be along the way I know it's easy right now to say Gonzaga is like the clear number one Gonzaga has two losses playing in the WCC. Yeah. At that point, if Kansas were to win out, which, again, I'm not expecting to happen because you're going to be playing so many good teams along the way, but at that point, you would be Big 12 regular season, postseason champions with just four losses, yeah. and you'd have by far the most quad one, quad two wins in the country. So you're talking win out, including the Big 12 tournament. Yeah, at that point, I think you are the number one overall. You're you're yeah, you're yeah in the re- You're in a very real conversation for it. I think 16-2... and two, 
you could lose in the quarterfinals and still have a hell of an argument to be a one seed. Probably one of the top um, two or three, even. And so, yeah, sixteen and two, and that would that would include, um, you know, you have no quote unquote bad losses. Your worst mm-hmm. loss is Davidson, who aren't they still hovering around the top sixty, you mean top Dayton? fifty? Um, yeah. yeah, Dayton, not Davidson. Let me check what they are in the net. But rankings. I mean, you're still so your worst loss is Dayton, who is a top sixty ish team. Um, and then you've got you go sixteen and two in a conference that include you know if, that would include a sweeping of Baylor, um, so Dayton, one and one against way, Tech. Dayton has moved up to forty seventh, so they're top rankings. fifty now. Yeah, so your worst and loss a neutral court that's a quad one game. Yeah, your worst loss is a top fifty team, mm-hmm. uh, and that's really good. Now again, I agree that I mean look, Waco. I I think I'm I'm assuming Baylor now losing um, Chamo Chachua is is hurts them. I think. Off the top of my head, I, I think Baylor's probably still favored going into Saturday morning. I know Ken Palm, whatever Vegas puts at it, t- puts it at tends to coincide with whatever Ken Palm says. So I think Baylor is is favored, um, at least from those eyes. But I, I think that's a very winnable game. I, I, again, I don't I don't think you're repeating what you just did now in Fieldhouse. They crushed Baylor in that one. Um, but. I don't know. It, it's not, and, and I mean, it's not unfathomable right now to think about them going sixteen and two when you look at the way they're playing. No, because I mean, think the, about all the quality wins that would rack up. You're talking um, TCU on the road is a quad one game. Texas at home, Baylor on the road, quad one games. TCU on the road, quad two game. Every game you play in the Big Twelve tournament, first game could end up being a quad two game, and then after that, it's probably going to be all quad one. I mean, you already are leading the co- the the country in in quad one wins. I'm probably just. I mean, I'm super paranoid. We both kind of get really paranoid with our teams, um, but I mean, it's you can I can I can hash out a scenario in which they go one and three down the stretch too, which is I mean, because this is a I mean, it just look at it and, and look every team that that KU has to play is sitting there going, man, now we have to play KU. Mm-hmm. So it, it's they have a tough game. You know, KU's opponent has a tough game as well. Um, so it is. I, I I hope it's it's fine for us because we have a radio show to do to discuss the possibility of what happens if Kansas goes sixteen and two. Um, but I, I I hope, and I don't think they are. But I I certainly hope that's not the mindset of of this team. And I think it helps that they've got, even though they did really well against Baylor, um, in Allen Fieldhouse. I I like that Baylor. That you know they've got a game coming up that that you know has, um. You know they've got a, a very high number next to their name mm-hmm. in, in a top ranked, highly ranked, but not a top ranked, but a highly ranked Baylor team. I like that. You know, I, I can't, I can't imagine in which, a way in which this is a, a look ahead game. Um, next week scares me just in terms of of fatigue. And then now we got Dave's foot to talk about. Yeah, I mean to be clear, like I, I again, I don't, I don't think they're going to win out the rest of the way. There's too many tough games, but it's just the you know what if game. Um, now that said, for Saturday against Baylor. I, I I broached this a little bit last week on the show, the idea of Bill Self having these kind of knockout games, basically opportunities um, in a game where, and a lot of them happen to be on the road, but some of them have come at home, where, you know, you are maybe neck and neck with the other team that's contending with you the most to winning a Big 12 title or um, maybe you're a game up and, and this game would basically squash it. It's a, a game that you basically, by winning it, you win the Big 12. By losing it, you're not out of it yet, or maybe you're still in first place. But by winning it, you are basically 
even though mathematically it might not be clinching, basically you are clinching. And there have been a a, a good handful plus of games, as you'd imagine, when KU's won so many Big 12 titles with Bill Self, like this, where, you know, we're going to go into Saturday. Baylor's going to be favored in this game. I don't know what the line will be. Uh, Ken Palm has it at four. I would imagine the betting line will be closer than that. It'll probably be like one, two, maybe three-point spread in this game. Um, you're going to go into this game as the underdog, and you're going to go into this game saying, you know, if we lose... You're not going to be happy about it. But if you lose the game, it's a close game. You say, well, we just lost to a good team. Everything's still in front of us. If we win out next week, we still win the Big 12 outright, right? But if you win this game, you're going to be saying all those things we just talked about. About, you know, what does this mean for a one seed? Can they win out? Blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. And basically at that point, it would feel like they have secured winning the Big 12 outright. Because all you have to do from there is either go 2-1 and one, against your final stretch of play with two of them being at home or have Texas Tech lose and and then you basically have to go one and two. So um, it basically from that standpoint, even though Texas Tech is also one of your big competitors, it kind of is a knockout game for Baylor. And these are some of the other games that, that I'm referring to of Bill Self having past success. I didn't even find this one, but um, this was Adam dug this one up. This is what, 2006-7 against yep. Texas and Allen Fieldhouse? Yep. And this was the season finale, regular season? It was the regular season finale, yes. Uh, going into it, Kansas was 13-2 and in the Big 12. Texas was 12-3. and uh, A&M, I don't know what they did. They finished the season 13-3, um, and so I don't know if they had already won that day or what the deal was there. Um, but you went into the day knowing KU wins, and the year it was important because yeah, the year before, 13-3. yeah, the year oh, I know they had. I just don't. I didn't know if they had already that day or, or not. If they played later or what. Regardless, and, and what you knew going into that day, going into that game was if uh, the KU had, had been assured themselves a, a, a share, at least a share of the Big Twelve title. Uh, the year before, they'd lost to Texas and Austin, and they split the title with with the Longhorns. Um, going into that game at Allen Fieldhouse, he had Kevin Durant. If Kansas wins, they're fourteen and two. They own it by themselves. Uh, and the one of the groups, one of the camping groups who had front row, had a sign up that said, "We're not sharing." <laughs> um, for the record. Um, but then, it, had they lost, you would have had a three-way tie at thirteen and three. And technically, they would have been the three seed because they, they would have lost, lost to Texas and A and M. Yes, because yeah. uh, A and M beat them in Allen Fieldhouse. Which, by the way, Texas that. Earlier that week, that Wednesday, beat AM in double overtime, 98-96. Yes. Uh, I, yes. Um, so you go into that game. They're, you know, Texas is on fire. I think it's like 15-3 to three to start off. They're, they're, you know, they're just obliterating Kansas early on. They can't miss. KU gets back into it. KU winds up winning by fours, 90-86. So that was kind of the first one. Um KU, well, in, I mean, 05, but that wasn't really, 05 was a weird one because um, they won the, the conference that year. That started the streak. But that was the first of those, like, this is, we can seal it ourselves. Uh, we don't need any help um, moments. The first one came in, in 07, and that game yeah. was Texas. Well, yeah, the, the knockout game, so to speak, like, 
KU tied in 05 with Oklahoma, and they lost the last time they played them. Now, Oklahoma State was only a game behind them, and they did have that, that crazy win over Oklahoma State. Yeah. But then they ended up losing two games later. So, I don't know. It kind of was, I guess, if you want to include that one, that would be a knockout game, I guess, technically, to Oklahoma State. Um, but, yeah, the Texas game in 2007, technically, all of the wins for 2009-2010 that season over Kansas State, Baylor, and A&M, because all three of those teams tied second, but KU won the league at fifteen and one. Okay. All of them were eleven and five. So K State was a two seed. Baylor was a three seed, and Kansas won that league by four freaking games. Yeah. So I, I don't know if there's a true knockout game that year. But uh, twenty twelve, KU was thirteen and two. Missouri was twelve and three. Another game where it's like Missouri needs to win this to have an opportunity at, at getting a share of the Big Twelve title. If KU wins this. They don't just get a share; they basically clinch it out. Well, and that day they officially did get the share. They were they were selling eight straight shirts at the end of that game because it did. You're right; it, it guaranteed them at least a share. Had they gone zero and two to finish the, the year, they would have. But that's what I mean. Exactly. Like, basically, it, you, you know, it knocked out Missouri. Yeah, yeah, it knocked out Missouri. And KU ends up coming back, Boy, winning the league they. by two games. Right. Uh, 2016. This one actually, I, I didn't remember when I looked back on this one. I did not remember the return trip to Norman coming with so many games left in Big Twelve play. Yeah, that was a, that was yes, I I I sort of do. Was there five games left? There was um seven. Oh, was that okay? Was it yeah, earlier than I thought. Okay, yeah, seven games left after that. That was a pretty much a knockout week for KU, which is weird because I say that, but at the time, um. West Virginia was eight and two in the Big Twelve. Kansas was seven and three. And KU, that was the comeback in Allen Fieldhouse over West Virginia, the one that featured the overtime game where Devontae Graham um well, that was seventeen. Was that seventeen? Yeah. Hmm. With four, fourteen okay. with fourteen points with two another comeback? It may have been. I just know that the fourteen with two minutes left was was twenty seventeen. Okay, I think you're right. But okay, so 2016 though, um, KU did beat West Virginia earlier in that week. So now you're going into Saturday against Oklahoma in Norman, the return that, that trip. Was all three Graham teams coming out game. Yeah, all three teams, KU, Oklahoma, and West Virginia, are eight and three. So it's not a knockout game necessarily, but knowing that you already beat Oklahoma once, knowing that you just beat West Virginia, knowing that this gives you a big advantage. KU then wins at Norman 76-72. Still a lot of games left, but that kind of felt like a knockout. And sure enough, KU finishes 15-3, and West Virginia behind two games. Oklahoma kind of faded down the stretch and finished 12-6. and Okay, 2017. This is what I'm thinking of here. It was a, a, another big week. KU was 10-2 and in Big 12 play. They had West Virginia, who was 8-4. and and that was the crazy comeback in Allen Fieldhouse. So that's a knockout game for West Virginia. Now you're three games up on them. You just beat them. That same Saturday, KU enters in at 11-2 and in Big 12 play. Baylor's 9-4. and Again, a win basically, even though not mathematically, basically says, yeah, we're winning this conference outright. A Baylor win says, hey, we still have a lot of games to play. Baylor could maybe get a, a chair or something. KU ends up winning that one in Waco, 67-65, another comeback. We just watched the highlights for that game the other day with Josh Jackson kind of going off. Um, and the end result, KU is 12-2 and at that point after they win in Waco. West Virginia, Baylor have five losses in tied for second place and at that point you have four games to go with a three-game lead yep. basically over there's your knockout game 2018 
KU was nine and four in Big Twelve play. West Virginia was eight and five. KU won at home, seventy-seven sixty-nine. You could technically view that as a knockout game, but the bigger knockout game was playing Lubbock, in Lubbock. Lubbock with Texas the, the Tech, shot off the top of the backboard. Yes, Texas Tech was ten and five. So three games to go after, or two games to I'm go. Pretty after sure hadn't this one. Tech won in Allen Fieldhouse. Yes, they did. That's right. Uh, early January, they yeah. came in and won. And so Tech at that point is ten and five. KU's eleven and four. And if Tech wins this game, it's like okay, now we have two games remaining. This is probably headed for a split. And 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 that was something. But it, it, you could also argue that was approaching a, a knockout game for like that. KU was in danger of not winning the conference yes, at all. Absolutely. Like they not only did that help them knock out Tech that all or not um, that also kind of saved them winning. I mean, it was it was two ways. They one team was going to be knocked out that day. Yeah. And although that, I mean they would have been tied, so KU could have finished out and Tech kind of stuttered after that anyway. Um but KU ended up winning that game and basically after that it was yeah, this is all KU and it's not going to really be uh, a close finish down the stretch. And then 2020, KU was 12 and 1 in Big 12 play. Baylor was 12 and 0 playing in Waco. KU won. Baylor was their only there. loss. Um, yeah, back Baylor in Allen, won Fieldhouse. Allen Fieldhouse. They won 64-61, which again, technically you could say, well, the two teams were tied at that point in terms of losses, but it kind of felt like uh, Baylor limped to the finish after that. Even, if, that, you, even if you don't want to call you know, that a knockout game, it was a clinching mm-hmm. game for KU. It, it really secured, it, it, it really placed them, not just in the driver's seat in the sense that, oh, we're you know, five and zero, oh, they're three and two, but there's still a ton of season left. But technically, we're in the driver's seat. It really put KU in the driver's seat as late as in the season it was. And my biggest memory of that game was really wishing Bill Self was the type to foul up three, because Baylor still got a shot. He didn't go in, but Baylor got a shot off. And so I, I don't share all these to necessarily say it's a guarantee that that'll happen on Saturday or that even. You know, they're like maybe we'll look back on it and say, really, the knockout win for KU was was beating Texas Tech in double overtime. But I do get almost this sense in this game by just looking back through history's lens and seeing some of those other games, and kind of thinking this feels like one of those exact setups. And even if it doesn't, it's just it's all. But it, it, at the very least, it's another reason to to look at it and go. The reason Bill Self has more Big 12 Conference championships than losses at Allen Fieldhouse is because of how many games like this he's won. Now, Baylor's still a really good team. They're still rightly going to be favored over Kansas on Saturday. But Bill Self wins so many of these types of games. And, and I mean, there's, you know, there, there's a lot of reason to be optimistic I agree. The, the feeling and set going into Saturday is well, bummer. You know, if, if they if they lose, eh, bummer. But if they win, it's a wrap it up. It's the signature win of the year, and Tech and might end up finishing higher than Baylor. And again, the double OT win probably will end up having a bigger result. But this would feel like the statement win. Like, no, this is our title. This is ours, and we're not sharing it either. With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening in on 
KLWN and KLWN.com with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson, and we are joined now to open up the hour by Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports and Fog.net. The KU offense just went fast, and boy, was it impressive what they did against Kansas State. Um, And now, as we look at it, this has been one of the more efficient offenses in Bill Self's history at KU. Um, Michael, I, I can't remember when you started covering KU. Was it 2018, 2019? Yeah, so my first season around was that 2018 Final Four team. Um, but okay, I've been perfect. paying attention to KU probably for a little longer. Okay, perfect. Because uh, I, I, I was thinking and, and thinking back to your time covering them and, like you said, paying attention earlier. But if you just had to pick 2018 Kansas offense, this year's Kansas okay. offense, who are you going with? I think I would pick this offense, uh, and here's why. I think that you look at that 2018 team, right? You had some really good three-point shooters in Devontae Graham and Sophie Kailuk, and then you had the post presence in Yudoka Azabuki. But I think that this team is maybe even a little bit more well-rounded just in terms of general scores, right? You've got kind of the, the three guys in Ochai Baji, Jalen Wilson, and Christian Brown that can consistently go get you a bucket. And I think that's a big deal to have multiple guys that can go and do that. Now, of course, you know, Devontae had his moments where he took over games and Svi hit the shot against Duke. And even someone like LeGerald Vick had big moments. And, of course, March and Malik Newman. But I think you look at this team and what they're able to do in terms of scoring around the rim without having someone like you, Doak Azubuki, because I think for as what Dave McCormick brings, he's not Doak, and it's going to be hard to find a player that is like that. But I, I like what this team does, and I think having someone like Ochai that can go get you a shot and can do it at a really, really high level. And Devontae Graham was really good, but, I mean, Ochai's scoring is just kind of at another level where maybe Devontae's facilitating was a little bit better. Um, so I think I probably would lean this team just in the wealth of scoring and their ability to score around the rim with those three. And then just on a game-in, game-out basis, you've kind of got guys like McCormick, um, you know, someone like Jalen Coleman-Lands or Yesfu, or if Bernie Martin comes back, you've got other guys that can kind of contribute night in and night out. Yeah, I, I – uh... I don't know. I go back and forth on it because that team um, was so good at three-point shooting. I mean, you're talking about 40% mm-hmm. on super high volume. They did not turn the ball over much at all, whereas this team does. But, yeah, it feels like this team, though, is is more multiple in how they can score. Um, it feels like they have more options of both, I guess, ways they can score and in terms of just players, I guess, although that team did have a lot. But, um I don't know. It's just it's very interesting, and I, I think if you were to take the overall body of work, I think you definitely take this one. It's it's just hard to get out of your mind if you were to say, yeah, but what about the end of season offense from that team where you had Malik Newman playing like an All American over the final month of the season? I, I I just think it's kind of an interesting debate. But at the very least, the point is that with as great as this offense has been, and and anytime you're in the discussion about one of the best or the best of the Bill Self era, like clearly you're going to have a, a unit or be doing something well enough that seems to be good enough to win a national title. A hundred percent. And I think the three point shooting is interesting because you look at the shooters up and down the roster and it's not like you mentioned high volume was that 2018 team. And outside of Ochai Baji, right? Like, People say Jalen Coleman Lands is probably the best shooter on the team, but he doesn't shoot very many threes, and he's not on the court a bunch. And it's like a lot of what they do is kind of inside the arc centered. And I think the turnovers, like you look into March, I think that's kind of the one thing I look at. Like, can KU go games without having kind of these 
15, 16, 17, 18 turnover games. Because that was the thing about that team was they, they didn't turn the ball over. And Devontae was so good with the ball in his hands, and he didn't make mistakes that, you know, you think about this team, and if they only have one ball handler into one Harris, then that kind of creates a, a crunch sometimes if teams are going to pressure. But I think the thing, too, that makes this team so different is this team is still scored at a super efficient rate when teams have literally said, all right, Ochai, we're just going to play one-on-one here, and everyone else is just going to go play four-on-four. I think that speaks volumes, too, about this team being able to go and get buckets when someone like Ochai is being kind of taken out of a game. And even so, you look at that Texas game, right, Ochai's taken out of it for all of it, and then all of a sudden he flies in and gets that offensive rebound. And I think that, in general, this team's ability to, like you said, be multiple but also overcome a team really trying to take Ochai out of the game and still be able to win it or even just be in the mix like they were at Texas, I think that's huge. Uh, Michael, I'm kind of – you kind of answered somewhat of my question there with with what you just said, but a lot of the scoring here, you know, the, the turnovers matter, and but in spite of those turnovers, they're still one of the three best offenses in the country, and they're that having to go up against the best defensive conference in the country. So I'm kind of curious, does it, we, Derek and I talk a lot and emphasize a lot the fact that what this team lacks offensively is somebody who is a primary scorer plus a primary ball handler, Ochai, can handle the ball, but their primary ball handler is not their primary scorer. Are we kind of overstating that? Is it just one of those things where no points are points no matter who they're coming from, or is there something to that? No, I think that's a big deal, especially, again, when you get into March and it is a one-game off, right? And is Ochai going to be the one that brings the ball up, you know, half the possessions? Like, I, I, I don't see that happening. And so that is an issue, right? And then you get into the question of, you know, let's say, for example, a team, and Bill Self talked about it a little bit, but teams are going to try and slow KU down. So when they do do that, can KU be really efficient in the half court? And I think that at times this season they have. And I think as of late they've been really efficient. But if teams are saying, you know, we're, we're really going to send guys back in transition, not let you get transition looks, I think it will rely a lot on, you know, how is Dewan Harris doing, right? Is he able to knock down some of those open threes that teams are going to force him to take and live with him taking? Because if so, I think that adds another element. And he's hitting like 40% of them, I want to say, since he started the year of seven. Um, but I do think that that is important to look at, that your best players aren't necessarily the ones that start a possession with a ball in their hands when it comes out of their own basket or um, if a team tries to slow them down. So I think that's something to watch. And I think in general, too, like, the thing that impresses me is KU gets in transition, but doesn't really force a ton of turnovers. Like their turnover rate isn't incredible. It's kind of just middle of the pack. And so they're still able to do it, which I think is impressive. And I think long-term, I'll be really interested to see kind of Yesifu, Remy Martin, who else is kind of handling the ball and how they're able to handle those responsibilities here down the stretch. The defense obviously uh, wasn't great on Tuesday night. Well, the offense was, although it was still good enough to win by 20 points. Um, and that kind of covered it up. But is there a common theme for you in, in maybe some of the games that KU has struggled on the defensive end? I think, man, I, I always look at Dave McCormick, I think for me personally. I think when Dave is playing really well, I think KU has some of its best games. I think you look at that Iowa State road game, right, where, granted, Iowa State offensively, not great, but you still really force them to take a lot of tough shots. And I think McCormick was really, really good in that game inside. And I think when McCormick is there as a presence, I think it allows KU to be a little bit better because at times, you know, Ochai and Jalen Wilson aren't necessarily the most lockdown guys on the perimeter in terms of, you know, defending guys off the bounce. And Juwan Harris is 
good, but again, sometimes he can uh, get posted up, for example. So I think when McCormick is good and he's able to stay on the floor, I think that allows KU's defense to be better because you have a presence in there. When guys go into the lane, they have to think about Dave McCormick rather than someone like Mitch Lightfoot or K.J. Adams, who are a little bit more of kind of those tweener four or fives. So I look at Dave McCormick and his level of play, even if he's not blocking a ton of shots and even if he's not grabbing an abundance of defensive rebounds, I think just having that big body in there um, really helps KU defensively. To add on that, you know, McCormick, I think a huge thing that he's changed up is he he's he had a few kind of 17 and 12 games earlier this year. The biggest difference of late for McCormick has been the the raising of his floor. He doesn't seem to have any two and one games anymore. His worst games seem to seem to still be nine and four. So he's playing serviceably enough offensively that they self can can reasonably leave him in there to be a for, to be if not a force a body on the defensive end. A hundred percent, and I think. Two, you look kind of now, it's something that Bill Self talked about today was kind of Dave's foot. And I think that might even be the, a bigger barometer of what's going to allow Dave McCormick to play kind of that 26, 27, 28 minutes a game. Because he's only played 31 or 30 plus minutes twice um, in, since conference play began. So he's not going to be playing 30 plus minutes a game. But can he be in that kind of, again, that, that high 20s? And I think that it's going to come down to kind of the foot injury because if he's able to stay out there, and as long as there's not like a pick-and-pop type of offense like Oklahoma, and then you'll see KU transition away from that. But McCormick's foot, I think, is a big deal. But I think you're right. His level of play has been a lot more steady, even if he's had some bad moments, right, against West Virginia. He had that wild missed dunk where he threw it off the back rim. You know, he has some of these one-off moments that you put your head in your hands. But in general, I think the level of play from him has been so much more consistent throughout Big 12 play, which I think has been a huge plus for KU and a reason why they've been able to overcome not having someone like Remy Martin throughout conference play. While the offense is obviously good enough to win a national title, do you think the defense is good enough for this team to do that or make a Final Four? I worry about it. Um, I think it can be good enough. I think it all comes down to uh, how locked in the other guys are. Because I think you look, I mentioned a second ago, but Jalen Wilson is someone that Bill Self has talked about defensively that just needs to take some steps forward. And I think that you can see sometimes when KU is really turned up defensively that they can get a lot of stops. And then that in turn allows them to get out and transition. And so I think that if KU is consistently turned up and able to stay kind of locked into some of those scouting report things, I think that's a huge deal. Because I think you look even at that Kansas State game, I can think of a few times that you know K-State scored. You look over to Bill Self and he's got his head in his hands or he's looking down the bench. Um, because there are miscommunications with ball with ball screen coverages, with um, switching assignments. So I think that if KU, in terms of this actual scouting report, staying locked into what they need to be doing each possession, I think if we're able to do that, that's a huge deal. And I don't think this this team has been you know Bill Self's best kind of um, defensive intensity and knowing the assignment for all 40 minutes. And I think that's kind of a big area for improvement. And if you think about March, right, it's probably a lot easier to stay locked in for a full 40 minutes when you know if you lose, you go home. We're talking with Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net here on RCST. KU takes on Baylor on Saturday. What are your thoughts on uh, this rematch of the game in Allen Fieldhouse where KU won pretty easily? Yeah, I'm really interested to see what Baylor just looks like in general. They've obviously dealt with some injuries, and they've been banged up, and obviously KU's got the Remy Martin thing and Dave McCormick, but really interested to see kind of how Baylor looks because I think what I expect is Baylor to come out on fire and them really trying to um, prove that what happened in Lawrence was kind of 
the equivalent of what happened to KU against Kentucky, where it's kind of one of those just uh, small sample size, 40 minutes, anything can kind of happen. So I think Baylor's going to come out on fire, and I'm I'm excited for the game. I think this is one of those games that you look at Ochai Baji, uh, probably a Big 12 Player of the Year, looking to be uh, maybe a National Player of the Year finalist type of thing. And then you've got a Baylor team that's looking to um, uh, overcome what was earlier a loss, and they're probably not going to win the conference, but still kind of improve that seeding and show that they are probably one of the better teams in the country. So I think overall it's a really fascinating matchup, and I'm expecting a really intense game. Do you think that Remy Martin plays again uh, over the course of the regular season? I do, I do. Um, I would not be... Um, maybe I'm ahead of things here, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they threw him out there a little bit on Saturday against Baylor just to see how it goes. Um, I think that that wouldn't necessarily shock me, but I do think we'll see him before the end of the season. I think it sounds like things are trending in the right direction based on what Bill Self said. Um, it sounds like he's been practicing, which I think is a positive thing considering what was maybe end of last week. Bill Self said he was practicing in a limited capacity. It sounds like that's transitioned closer to being a full speed type of thing. But again, it, it's tough because it's a knee injury, and you just don't know how it's going to react after a singular practice, after um, a specific game, but I do expect we'll see him over kind of the next 10 days, 8 days. Uh, Switching gears over to some recruiting stuff before uh, we let you go here, KU landed a PWO commit, uh, I think last weekend, from Quentin Conley, which uh, your former colleague Scott Chasen reached out to me and, and mentioned that he could end up playing maybe tight end for KU listed as receiver, but big body guy um, and top 700 recruit in the country. Seems like a pretty big deal to have uh, a kid like that as a PWO. Oh, a hundred percent. It's massive. And I think you look at past preferred walk-on classes for KU, it's been nowhere close to what Lance Leopold has done in his first year. And so for Quentin Conley, for, folks that aren't maybe too familiar for a long time in his recruitment, he was considered a, a four star in the 24 seven sports composite, which takes, you know, rivals ESPN, a lot of those recruiting services. And over the course of his high school career, um, he dealt with an injury as a senior, had to play quarterback, um, which is not his preferred position. And so colleges really struggled to get uh, a firm evaluation on him as a scholarship prospect. He offered him a scholarship at one point, but Again, you're seeing across college football that scholarships are really hard to come by between the transfer portal, between the super seniors. Um, it's really tough. So this is someone that under a normal cycle in just 2018, let's say, he'd be a scholarship recruit and he'd be committed somewhere on scholarship. But the, given the circumstances of what recruiting is like these days, um, that's not in the cards for him right now. So he's going to start at wide receiver at KU. They they offered him at tight end initially. And then when they went to preferred walk-on, they said, hey, let's do wide receiver. So we'll start out at wide receiver, but he's kind of got the big body that could end up being a tight end after a few years in the weight room. So I think in general, a huge pickup for KU to get him uh, as a preferred walk-on, someone that I think if he comes in and impresses over his first year, two years, could play his way into being a scholarship guy. So in general, huge pickup for KU. All right, Michael, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Michael, one last thing. For the rest of your life, would you rather go with no socks or no underwear? <laughs> no underwear. I, I hate cold feet, and especially living in the Midwest, I would not be able to go without any socks. So I'll uh, I'll go without underwear for uh, the rest of my life. My immediate thought was was no socks, but then yeah, I mean, like today, today would be because like, you get outside <laughs> your feet. You get, yeah, there is something freeing about you know the other option. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Michael, 
Thank you for the time. Thank you for sharing uh, your your sock underwear opinion with us. Uh, and check out all his work, Fog.net, 24-7 Sports. We appreciate you coming on the show. Definitely. Thanks, guys. Always have fun. All right, that's Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, Fog.net. Go check out some of the cool specials they're running on their website right now. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, and KLWN.com. Depend on it. This is RCST. We're going to be joined by Porter Grieve, um, who works as the CEO at Mercury, which is kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff that runs the Jayhawk NFTs stuff and, and kind of just learn more about NFTs and get to know about what's going on there. Um, I did want to quickly mention real quick, obviously with everything going on with Ukraine and Russia and, and a lot of sad stuff going on um, across the ocean that way, um, I know a lot of people, like, you know, it, it's it's one of those weird things with, with Sviatoslav Mikhailuk who, who played – at Kansas and and lived in Ukraine to, I guess, narrow down like, oh, how's Svi doing? When it's like, well, there's all these people, you know. But, but I, I think for he's a lot part of, people, of this community. Yeah, that's the thing. And that for a matters. Lot of people, when, he is, it's, you can care about everybody, but specifically ask about somebody who is part of your community. Yeah, yeah. That's which what, he is. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that, that's what I was trying to say. Um, Svi might be the only Ukrainian person that you know. So anyway, he released a statement um, just moments ago. A great tragedy tragedy befell our dear homeland, Ukraine. We categorically condemn the war. Ukraine is a peaceful, sovereign state inhabited by people who want to decide their own destiny. We pray for our families, friends, relatives, and all the people who are in the territory of Ukraine. We hope for an end to this terrible war as soon as possible. Dear fellow Ukrainians, hold on. Our strength is in unity. We are with you. Um, that was from both Svi and Alex Len who is also of Ukrainian descent. And uh, I don't know if he's still in the NBA, but at least former NBA player in uh, Alex Len. Okay, um, switching gears, there was a report earlier this morning from Matt Verderam of, uh, I want to say fan-sided. Yeah, he's, he's fan-sided. Okay, he's a columnist. Um, that the Chiefs were going to bring back Eric Bieniemy at offensive coordinator. And then there was another report just about, I don't know, 30 minutes ago or so from the NFL Network that Eric Bieniemy is indeed returning to the Kansas City Chiefs as offensive coordinator for 2022. I have a trouble I have trouble reading this. I could be way off and if for whatever reason they have somebody in the Chiefs offices listening to our our show, they may be laughing hysterically about how wrong I am. I have a difficult time reading this as anything besides Kansas City allowed themselves to be Eric Bieniemy's safety net. I just I don't know how you, I don't it know what else like it could that. be and, and and you don't mean safety net from just like getting a head coaching job it it, it no feels no like... that, that he he was I think strongly he was exploring options taking a year off becoming an offensive court he reportedly really impressed the Saints and they were and, and there were thoughts that maybe okay he didn't get the head coaching job but I think they hired their own defensive coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. So there are some th- thoughts that he would go down there to run the offense since the head coach was a defensive mind. Um, that obviously didn't happen. And so I, I honestly believe that there was something of a, you know, check out what's going on. I'll say this from the Chiefs' side of things with the Brian Flores lawsuit. I do think there's an optics at work here. Um, and, and I look, I, I'm I'm not an idiot. I know, now look, to... to acknowledge my privilege here i am a a white male but i fully under i I, 
maybe not understand isn't the right word, but I, I know that racism is a problem and it's a problem um, from from the standpoint of just pure hatred to the, the problem of maybe it's not as outright, but it is preventing people of color from getting jobs that they're going after. Um, I, I am completely aware that is the case, but there is part of me that wonders if the Chiefs um, want to go a different direction, if for no other reason to have another a fresh voice in the room, um, and and also making showing clearly that the, the Chiefs' offense was worse this year, I do wonder if there's something to be said that you know they they'd like to go a different direction, but they can't bring themselves to it because the optics, I mean, aren't aren't looking good because this still has been a top five defense every year. Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator. And and look, he deserves credit. He's not done he's not done nothing. He's done a lot. Um but there there's I, I just ultimately there's a big part of me that they've that wonders have they just said, all right, go check out what's out there for you. Um and we're here if you don't if not. And I I hope that that, that wasn't the case. Um I also would like to add I I think that it's look Patrick Mahomes, and I'm I'm not even close to the only person with this take. Um, I think I would say most everybody has noticed this. Patrick Mahomes hasn't given any loud endorsement. Man, I really want this guy to come back. Right now, granted, he hasn't spoken with the media since they lost to Cincinnati, but he tweets not often, but he does tweet. Um, like when everybody was going after his his uh, fiance Brittany at the Texas Tech game. Yeah, he. And, and this is different. It's your, you know, fiance Family, versus your yeah. offensive coordinator. But he spoke up about it. Yeah, and and so it, I he the the fact that he hasn't steadfastly said, um, no, I I want him back because for even if they said it, even if he did it privately, even if he went into Andy Reid's office and said, I don't care what the case is, the enemy better be coming back because I want him here. It would have been sewn up in a day. It would have mm-hmm. it would have been sewn up in a day, so at the very least, what the fact that this has gone on so long, what this is telling me is that he may not have come out flat said no, I don't want to work with him anymore. Um, but I think it it's it means something that he's been quiet this whole time. Yes, I would agree and, with and that. He's the guy we talk about. If you're if you are. Um, if you're Blake if, Bell, if you're the you know. AD at the University of Kansas, yes, football program needs to get your attention, but your number one job will always be keeping Bill Self happy. Mm-hmm. What do you need from me? What do you need? How you every once a month you check in? How's it going, Coach? What do you need from us? That's your number one job. If you are the Chiefs right now, you have a, a true franchise quarterback for the certainly the first time since Lynn Dawson, maybe the first time ever. You have a you have you have a, a a piece right now that from a business standpoint and from a wins and losses standpoint is huge in Patrick Mahomes. Keeping him happy, you know, is 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 everything right now. Um and I I just I I it's it I don't know. I, I can't not notice that he hasn't made this huge outright um endorsement of him now look maybe in a few hours or in an hour he tweets i'm so excited i was i'm thrilled i I really love working with this guy and i look like an idiot that's possible um but i i just his silence has been so so 
noticeable. Yeah, I I know there was that uh the story that that came out that was taken down, and and I don't know how much credence there was to that thing, but uh, you reach out to certain people, and and most of what you hear is that you know, well, this uh, how on earth would they have these stories about um, you know, what was said in in the headset, you know, stuff like that. But then there was other things that, you know, again, by just reaching around and, and asking people, you would hear that, yeah, I think there is a little credence to maybe that they didn't have the best relationship or, or this or that. And it, it just felt like the, the way that the momentum was going was that it would be best for both sides to, you know, kind of split off. And like you said, this almost feels like the safety net of, well, that didn't work out, so we're just going to run it back one more time. And everybody's professional. Everybody's making millions of dollars. Not every single player, not every single coach gets along with every other player and every coach. There are so many people in the organization. And fine. even coaches who do get, even coaches and players who do get along really well 99% of the time, you, they're around each other you know, during the season 60, 70 hours a week. And and they're all hyper competitive. So even if they really true love each other and get along, they're still going to get, they're still going to go after each other sometimes. Yeah, there there are times where you're going to yell at each other. But while all that is said, there does hit like a certain point of a difference between friction and a fire starting up. And for a while, the Chiefs have kind of towed the line between having a team that has like maybe explosive personalities, but a good locker room to bring everyone in. I just can't help but wonder, you know, if this is going to go, go poorly. I, I don't know. We'll see. I I think Patrick Mahomes is, is so talented that you do have, you do have something you've got a You've got a player who can really mask a lot of, of, um, things that otherwise would be glaring if you didn't have as good of a quarterback. Um, but I really, I don't know. I, I think, I just, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I really think that, that I think that right now they're, um, I'm not, I'm not saying Patrick Mahomes is, is angry, but I think right now he's not as happy as he could be. I think. I don't. It shouldn't don't, be that, that. And that's not how. You, you don't should. totally, you know, cow over for someone, but. That's it's kind not of like goal, you don't you don't right? go you know you don't go cheat or do illegal things or anything like that for him. But if he like if you have a guy who you say you know I think I think this contract you know like I think we could trade, just say Tyree Kill. You go to him about that. You say, hey man, this team's offering us two first round picks for Tyree Kill, and we can use one to draft this really great young wide receiver. And he says, no, absolutely not. I need him on this team. Then you leave it alone. You do things like that, um, but I, you know, I, I, I think this is a, and this is a, one of those things. Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's frustrating. I, I think as, um, I think as great as Andy Reid is, and as an offensive mind, I just think it always helps to have a fresh, um, fresh mouth in there. Yeah, it does. Well, at the very least, though, uh, the Chiefs are not grambling state who uh, apparently is going to be hiring Art Bryles as an offensive coordinator. That was the news dump of the century. It was cowardly is what it was. It really was. Very cowardly. Uh, Hugh Jackson's the head coach at Grambling State. They announced that they're hiring Art Bryles, 
like 15 minutes after the news came out about Russia officially invading Ukraine. And yeah, that is just absolutely cowardly. And, you know, Hugh Jackson, you were terrible as an NFL coach. Like, I can't say that I'm surprised. I just can't. It was, I, I can't. And, and we're not, you know, I, I don't, especially now, because I don't know how many parents are listening with their kids in the car coming over from school. So if you don't know what went on under Art Bryles at, at Baylor University, I'm going to warn you it's some horrible, horrible things. Um, read about it. Uh, it was it was some disgusting things that, that were going on. Um, and it's one of those things where he either, it was so bad that you either, he either knew about it and did nothing, but even like the best, the best, best, best case scenario is he didn't know. And it's a, an indictment on him if he didn't know that those things were going on under his watch at Baylor. Um, and I think I, I feel strongly, I, I'm trying to be careful here. I feel strongly in saying this. Um, I personally believe that a campus, a college campus is less safe when Art Bryles is a football coach on it. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Let's uh, switch around the mood a little bit. We're going to talk with Porter Grieve uh, with Jayhawk NFTs coming up next. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Joined now by a special guest here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That would be Porter Grieve, who runs Jayhawk NFTs. And, and if you've paid attention at all to you know social media, they've got some cool stuff going on over there. But I, I think the first question that I'm sure a lot of people ask, and, and honestly, like, it's something I'm a little familiar with, but it's it's not something that I'm even close to an expert on um, either. So uh, just go ahead and describe it, and I'm sure you get this question a lot, like just what is an NFT and what makes it valuable? Yeah, for sure. Um, first of all, appreciate you guys having me on. I'm excited to chat. Um, yeah, so I, I think like the, the easiest way to, to look at NFTs um, is, look, I mean, people are spending you know more and more time online. People love owning stuff. Naturally, people are going to want to own stuff online. Um, how do you verify digital ownership technologically? And, and the way you do that is via NFTs on the blockchain. So in terms of sports, I, I think an easy way to, to look at it, um, especially when it comes to sort of what we're doing um, with, you know, in, in the university sector is, you know, this is, is, is really just the sports memorabilia market, you know, moving online. People are used to collecting sports memorabilia they have for years, jerseys, you know, signed basketballs, signed sneakers, whatever it is, signed ticket stubs. Um, now, you know, that is, is now moving online. Not fully. I mean, I, physical memorabilia obviously still exists. Obviously, there's a huge market for that, and people still love that. But this is the ability now to, to take ownership and digital ownership and, and digital memorabilia um, to new heights and, and online. Um, and there's a, a lot of fun things that come along with it, but as like an initial intro, I think that's a, just sort of a, an easy way to, to view the space. I, maybe this is a little off topic back to kind of the subject of what this is and what you have going on, but, uh, do, does a portion of this money kind of turn into an NIL deal as well into basically getting some cash in the players' pockets? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so everything we're doing um, with, with uh, Kansas athletics um, and specifically the men's basketball team. Um, and obviously just for, for reference, if you want to check it out, it's um, rockchalk.io is the platform that, that we have built in partnership with, um, with KU and, and with the basketball team. It was super important for us, you know, if we're going to be, first of all, legally, if we're going to be using the, the players' rights, you know, it's important that they get paid. But this is also a way to get the players closer to the fans, get the fans closer to the players, and reward the players because, you know, they, this, is, this is their name, this is their image, this is their likeness. It's important that, you know, we provide them a way to earn passive income off the court. And the, the cool thing about it is, you know, it, it doesn't take a, a, a ton of effort for them. You know, they approve the artwork. Um, they allow us to, to use their name, image, and likeness. And, you know, every now and then, maybe one or two will, will hop in the Discord and start chatting with the fans. Maybe that's a little hint. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a cool way for, for them to, to just earn income off the court um, in a way that, that also makes fans happy. Yeah, and for, for people who maybe don't understand the, the value, the best, uh, I guess, simile that, that I've been given of well, why do I need you know something that's digital? Is is the baseball card market or, or whatever football cards, whatever cards you're into um, market that you know technically I could just go out there and just print out a, a baseball card if I wanted to, but that's kind of part of it. Um, is that kind of similar to to how the market works for this? It's it's just kind of a, a fun thing that um, you're giving value to things, and and there will be like a marketplace. I'm, I'm sure coming for you guys that you'll be able to kind of like buy and sell different cards, or you can basically put together like full collections or whatnot? Yeah, absolutely. So um, starting um, likely, you know, late next week, um, we'll have its own secondary marketplace where, you know, the um, the, the NFTs and, and the, the, the player banners that you've collected in the pack so far, you can buy and, and sell those and, and trade those on the secondary market, um, which is fun. It's exciting, but it's also a chance to like, you know, if, if you can complete collections, you know, something might come along with that. Um, if you can, you know, at some point we're going to roll out a leaderboard. So if, if you collect, you know, X amount of, of, of the NFTs of the players, you know, you get, you know, your place on that leaderboard um, on the platform, so just different ways to make it fun and, and competitive. But to me, like the really important thing here is, okay, it's not just all about the NFTs is what do the NFTs get you access to? And for me, it's, it's the community. So this is all about, you know, Kansas fans, Kansas basketball fans, and giving them sort of an online digital place to congregate. So our Discord channel right now, you know, we're up to about like 400, you know, hardcore Kansas fans who are in there every day, you know, talking NFTs, but mainly, you know, they're talking about the team. They're talking about the players. They're talking about their chances in March this year. And that to me is really what this is all about. You know, give, give this group, give this community a place to digitally congregate because, at the moment, I, I think you know sports fans. Doesn't matter what t- you know what what team you're you're a fan of. Um, there isn't really that place to digitally congregate. You know, some people are are in message boards. Some people are texting their buddies from school. You know, some people are in person and actually talk having real conversations like in bars and stuff. And, and some people are in the comment sections of blogs. But I think you know Web three and, and this whole world has really given us the tools to create these online digital communities you know, that we can constantly reward with, you know, finding ways to talk to the players. You know, if you collect X amount or if you win a golden ticket, you get tickets to a game next year. And that's what this is really all, all about. It's, it's how do we bring these fans together, give them a place to talk about the team and the game and the players they love, um, and find ways to bring them close to that team. So, so that's really what it's all about. I know NFTs are like the big headline that everyone wants to talk about, but 
for me, it's, it's a little deeper and, and, you know, what comes along with that. Well, yeah, you mentioned the golden tickets, which I, I think is good to bring up. So um, you also mentioned the leaderboard stuff. Is is there going to be an aspect of this where it is, hey, if I put together this collection, like here's something out of that. Is it uh, like what are some of those things you get with the, the golden ticket and, and around that? Yeah, so we, we announced our um, – so just for, for context for everyone, we um, – on, on day one when we uh, dropped all the packs, um, we had 100 golden tickets um, sort of dispersed throughout those packs. Um, and if you got one, um, you know, you, you verified it with us, and then we put you on our, our, our list, and we sent out the rewards for golden ticket holders yesterday. Um, and what that gets you is, at the moment, first of all, it, it gets you, you know, into any event we ever throw in the future. So that's like step one. That golden ticket, you know, has has that sort of access rights forever. Number two, it um, you can redeem it, you know, immediately for for one of uh, three prizes. One being, you know, a, um, a jersey or, or or hoodie or or, or KU shirt that we um, that we send to you. Um, two is is tickets to next year's. Um, uh, a game, a uh, home game during next year's season, uh, and, and and three is a an account credit uh, on the platform, um, and there's there's going to be you know future utility for it too. It's not the type of thing where like hey these golden tickets are out there and you get one then you know you redeem and that's over. You know we're we're going to consistently find ways in the future to to make sure these things have value um, and are constantly sort of re- rewarding their holders. So. Um, we got a lot of fun stuff planned. You know, this is, is super early, and we keep reminding everyone in the Discord, like, hey, we're we're really early here. We're we're building this together as a community. Um, you know, we're we've got a, a cool roadmap, a lot of fun things coming. But um, you know, at the moment, we're we're really just focused on bringing in the right audience, bringing in the right community, so it's it's welcoming, it's positive, it's it's people who are constantly you know there for the right reasons, who who really at the end of the day just want to find other people to to talk about KU hoops with. Yeah, and you want to get in on it now, so you still have a chance to uh, get a golden ticket before I guess the next packs uh, are released. So, is it for the the player cards? Because as part of this, when you when you buy one of the packs, you get two different cards. Correct? Uh, are they all players? Is there going to be, or is there already like maybe cards that'll be jersey cards for different jerseys or, or coaches or anything like that? Yeah, so so there are um, there are Bill Self cards, banners, whatever you want to call them, in the packs now. Um, he was he was included with the players. So right now it's it's all players, um, and then in the future um, we're going to have you know we'll, we'll make some announcements soon on, on upcoming drops and, and what's coming next. But you know there's going to be variety. We're going to be doing some different stuff. It's not going to be all players all the time. It's not going to be you know um, this isn't our only drop, obviously. Um, so we'll, we'll make announcements in, in the coming weeks on sort of what's coming and when. Um, but I don't want to get into too, too many specifics right now because, you know, if I, if I say something, then Discord jumps all over it and then they're, they're asking, like, <laughs> when is this coming? When is this coming? So I, I got I to gotta be careful. So if I were to ask you, will at some point historic players be on there, you would not give me a straight answer? <laughs> um, I would not. I, I would say that we would love uh, historic players to want to get involved in this community, um, but I, I can't can't give any 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 specifics or anything beyond that. So is that something where I guess just generally with the whole process, I'm, I'm assuming you have to get kind of the uh, the basically NIL rights of of different current and former players, which I'm sure creates its own roadblocks. Um, are there are there plans though for this eventually? I, I know again this kind of goes back into the question of you don't want to. Uh, oversell something and build the hype up. But um, are there plans eventually for if this continues to go well to maybe expand this and do other sports as 
you know, you look at KU football or, or whatever it is, all the different KU athletics um, around Lawrence, uh, would that be the eventual plan down the road? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now we're, you know, we, we, we have the partnership with Kansas Athletics and we, we, we have the, the NIL partnership with the players um, on, the, on the basketball team that is, which we're obviously thrilled with. Um, but, you know, we, we want this to be a long-term community that, you know, in the future includes all sports and, and anything that, anything KU that, that people, you know, are interested in, want to draw closer to, want to find ways to, you know, win different items and, and experiences. You know, we, we want to build this into a, um, a really fun and, and awesome community that isn't just, you know, one season of basketball or two seasons of basketball. You know, this is, this is something that we're building for the long haul. I mean, I think there's, look, there's a lot of companies out there right now um, who, who are, you know, they're looking to partner with as many people, as many sports teams, as many clients as possible. And, you know, take their IP and rush out to the market and, um, you know, nothing against that, but we're, you know, we want to do this the right way for the fans and, and bring it along at the right pace and just make sure that, you know, this community is rewarded for being here early. And, you know, a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, you know, this, this thing has grown into something that is, is, is fun and exciting for everyone. Um, and isn't just a, you know, a flash in the pan or something where it's like, Hey, let's, let's get this out now. And then we'll figure out what happens later. You know, this is, we're taking our time, uh, especially with the partners we're going to market with now, you know, we're not, we're not trying to find every every school or every team in the world. You know, we're we're picking our spots and, and picking areas where we feel like have significant, you know, rabid communities that that all really care about the same thing. So for somebody listening to this who says, you know, this does sound pretty interesting. I want to get involved in this community. I want to, you know, start getting some NFTs with with my favorite Jayhawks on it or whatever it is. Uh, what's the easiest way for them to go about this and and kind of get involved? Yeah, so easiest way, you know, go to rockchalk.io. Uh, you can check out the platform. Um, you know, there's there's still some packs available with which which have some golden tickets um, uh, still available. We added sort of you know 24 golden tickets at, at the end um, as a bonus for 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 the people who buy the remaining packs, and and they'll be um, you know randomly drawn and and, and dispersed. Um, and there's a, a link right right on the uh, on the main page to our discord community. So if you also just want to, to jump into the discord and start talking see what it's all about, you know, talk to other like-minded people, talk to other fans. It's a, it's an awesome place. Um, and you know, we're, we're having fun in it every day. So go to rocktalk.io, check it out, jump in the discord and we'll see you there. He is Porter Grieve, the CEO of Mercury who helps run all the NFT stuff with the rock chalk NFTs. Thanks for the time, Porter. Appreciate you coming on and, and kind of sharing everything and kind of explaining this stuff. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Derek. All right. That was Porter Grieve joining us here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. Two hours down, one to go on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson. Um, this isn't really like a news story or anything of note, but I just think it's kind of interesting. So um, there's this person who's doing this like cover design challenge at Calso Scoped on Twitter or something like that. And one of the cover design challenges was for a, a fake EA NCAA basketball game for 2022. And <laughs> they put a cover on there of Bronny James, LeBron James' son, 
and he's rocking a photoshopped Kansas uniform. So again, like this doesn't mean anything. I don't think this guy is like an inside scoop or anything on Bronny James. He's going to Kansas, but I mean, you think he's just a Kansas fan, and that's why he picked. I I would be interested. I agree. I don't think he has any sort of scoop, but I am interested in why. Why did he pick Kansas? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand. Like, why? I understand Kansas is a blue blood, but why over any of the other blue bloods? Yeah, I, I don't know. And honestly, like, I don't really care because again, like, I don't think this really has any credence to just like, is Bronny James coming to Kansas now? But I will say this: like, it does bring up an interesting discussion of me. Would you want Bronny James on Kansas? And you know, I. I started thinking about this because at first I was like, man, I would love for KU to get him. Like, I, I don't care if he sucks. I don't care if he doesn't do anything. He's like, a, I think, 50th ranked recruit somewhere around there in the country. So clearly would be a good player. But the expectation for him is probably going to be come to your school for one year and leave. And I don't know if the recruiting rankings or where he's at say that that's necessarily the case. Um, but how cool would it be to see LeBron James like at every KU basketball game? Yeah, that'd be tight. You know? And that'd be a big recruiting tool, but also the counter to it is the clout, the kid that LeBron yes. carries. There would, also be, it would like, be it would be the only time ever where Bill Self has had, because um, I've heard stories. I'm not going to get into uh, to to details, but there are just times, and it, this isn't unique to Bill Self. Every college coach at every level, every high school coach, has things with parents. Where they have a parent like, why isn't my kid playing this position? Why isn't my kid playing more? Da 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 da. The difference is Bill Self has more clout than any of his players' parents. That wouldn't be the case here. No, that's what I'm saying. Like he's not like a Lavar Ball, but would it surprise you if there was a moment in time when, like, imagine what's happening now with Dewan Harris and Remy Martin? If Remy yeah. Martin was Bronny James. Like we're hearing about that in the media, right? Even even if LeBron doesn't care. You know what I mean? Or yes. Not not that he doesn't care, but like even if LeBron is siding with, you know, even if LeBron is like, no, I I I I agree, it's okay that he's sitting down right now. Like if he even if he has no problem with it, it's still a massive story and a massive distraction. And how much of that do you want for a top fifty recruit? Exactly. Who's gonna leave after a year? Ugh, I, mean, I don't if, know. Look, if it could bring in some stupid haul. It yeah. would be like, man, I want to play with play LeBron's with kid. Right. And you get the top, you, you get like three of the top 12 mm-hmm. players in the country. Okay. Well, like, I remember having this conversation with uh, LaMelo Ball, and that one was different because that one was, okay, LaMelo Ball ended up being number two pick in the draft. Like, it was like, yes, you take him and you deal with it. With this, it's it just is different because it's not that game changing guy. Unless so like he's a very amiable person. Though. He like, is. That he dude is. can get a, get along with like a lot of people like him. Yeah, and that dude can get along with with pretty much anybody. I mean, now he holds his own. If some like if if, if you know he 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 doesn't just flat back down if somebody says no, we're doing it this way. Mm-hmm. He holds his own. He's a strong willed person, but just in in the sense of the charm and the charisma, he can hold. I mean, he he can he can charm people. I just would be very interested if he would even crack the rotation. Who knows? Uh, speaking of the rotation, if we assume because typically in the NCAA tournament we see about a seven man rotation, maybe eight guys where the eighth guy is playing for eight to 10 minutes or something like that. If we assume that's the case, seven or eight man rotation in the NCAA tournament. Now it's not that um, we haven't really seen closer to a seven or nine man rotation of late, but certainly uh, with Remy Martin appearing to be headed back soon, question mark, it might get a little uh, stickier. Now, 
obviously the starting five seems to be pretty set in stone outside of injury. Dewan Harris, Ojagbaji, Christian Brown, Jalen Wilson, David McCormick as your starting five. So again, if, if we're assuming that the rotation is going to be seven to eight after that, I'm trying to think who would be most likely because then that's basically, you know, your backup big. Clearly, I think Mitch Lightfoot would be that guy. Um, I think Zach Clements, KJ Adams would be more matchup guys as opposed to who's in your actual rotation. Especially Clements. Yeah. And then the other spot, if it is down to seven, that means it's only one of three between Yesifu, Jalen Coleman, Lance, and Remy Martin. If it's eight, you get one more. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think, man, that is crazy. I I I think what we're seeing is, it'll probably it's so often seven. Um, I'm trying to think. There was one random game, and I don't know if it was because of foul trouble or what, but in 2012, I think it might have been against North Carolina State in the Sweet 16. Justin Wesley, yeah, randomly played a a decent amount of minutes. More minutes than you would expect Justin Wesley to yes. play in a sweet a walk six, on. in a Sweet Sixteen game. I, I think he, he I think no, I think he grabbed himself a. Was he? Um, okay, but the primary players on that team were the starting five. Then you kind of had Brown and Kevin Young off the bench. Um, but yeah, I feel like Justin Wesley, and I, again, that may have been a matchup thing. It may have been a foul thing, but I, I do, you know, I do think they have a luxury right now that if you've got a healthy Remy Martin and you've shown, you know, Joe Yesifu has shown that he can be, at the very least, he can be very helpful in limiting turnovers. Um, I do think you, you at the very least, have a luxury in in that, you know, you don't play guys just to say, boy, look at us. We, you know, we played eight guys mm-hmm. in the tournament. We look at how deep we are. You don't do it just to, for the sake of it. Um, but I think it is nice that if, if um you know, if, if if Remy does come back and they're playing in the second round and, and he does, his knee all of a sudden does catch up with him, you've got another option there. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think if Remy does come back here soon and looks good, then the seven-man rotation will be easy. Dewan, Ochai, CB, Jalen, Dave, Mitch, and Remy. Mm-hmm. And then anything after that is matchup, Yesifu, matchup or foul dependent. Exactly, exactly. Um, but maybe that's just how it is anyway. Maybe it's just Dewan, Ochai, CB, Jalen, Dave, and then you can't pick anyone after that. You know, maybe it just all is matchup dependent. No, I think yes. I think Yesifu or you need Remy. Ball yes, I think yeah. I think we've seen enough of Yesifu playing, not at the beginning of games or end of games. And self is on the record of saying, um, you know, what he views. You know, it's not that starters mean nothing, but he when when he when he didn't start Dave. He said he also mentioned the the importance of who's playing at the end of a game. So, but Yesifu is getting has gotten significant enough minutes to lead me to believe that you can safely say that Yesifu or Remy or a healthy Remy Martin will be will play a lot of minutes. Um, I mean, not you know thirty, but will play significant, meaningful minutes in regularly in NCAA tournament play. One thing in, in this question I'm about to ask you, I, I think ties back into play of, of can Jalen Coleman Lands be in that rotation and how does that all work out and is there even enough minutes if you are playing Remy and Joe Yesifu? But uh, KU obviously just went 15 of 24 from three. Uh, if you look at the non-Ochai shooters, they were 11 of 18 from three. Um, and we talked about before that game, they were at 31.5% from three as a team outside of Ochai. 
Do you view what happened on Tuesday night as maybe being an indication that they are better and that maybe there is some reversion to the mean in a positive direction coming? Or do you think that was just a one-off and they're lucky and that they do need uh, maybe a guy like Jalen Coleman-Lance to be a part of the rotation permanently? I think you need him to be ready to come off the bench at any time, but I, 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 I think um, I don't think it. I, I think right now it's like okay, he, he. It's not like you're going to have moments. I don't think you'll have moments in a game where you have to, like when you're putting together the scouting report and the game plan. I don't think you're sitting there going, "Boy, we have to find a way to get this guy in." Um, but I do think um, who was the guy. Andrew White, yeah, kind of like him. Like he, the guy was a good sharpshooter, uh, and he came in. I think he actually played quite a few minutes when they really were trying to scratch out a comeback against Stanford. Um, I also think they did the same thing uh, when they were, when they needed a three late against Oklahoma State in 2013. If I'm thinking of the right guy, um, he could be somebody like that when you as a team aren't shooting well, uh, and he can you know add some fire off the bench. Uh, but to answer your question, I, I also think it, it could be yes. They're they're making some um, progress and going back to in a law level off. Um, but I also always worry, even and even though they no longer play until the final four, they're not going to play in a football dome if they make it there. So they won't play in a football dome in their first four games, even in those larger NBA style arenas. The the backdrop looks so different, and it's not a coincidence. I think. You, one, you're playing better teams, so your shooting percentage may go down. But also, I think shooting long long range shooting percentages tend to go down in the tournament, and I think part of it is because you're in uh, a very different venue. You're in you are in an NBA capacity venue. Yeah, I I think that's where it is. But also, I I do think that you know, like Jalen had been shooting 27 percent from three. I think he's closer to a low 30s guy. So that you're, should go you're up. Wilson, right? You're talking Wilson, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Coleman lands. I think he is what he's shown. Like he is just a, an elite shooter from the outside. Um, Christian Brown, I think, could shoot better. So as far as Tuesday night goes, obviously not expecting that. But I, think I do you, think to I me, think you have every reason to fairly expect them to be better than they've been this. That's year. what I'm saying. I, I do think to me that was a game where I don't view it as just oh it happened and they got lucky. I view it as this was a bit of a positive reversion to the mean where I think they're probably shooting worse than they actually are. Because, again, outside of Ochai, as a team, they're shooting 31.5% from three. And that's not just, like, bad for Bill Self or KU standards. Like, that's bad, bad, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Like, even the even the 2018-19 team, which had all sorts of troubleshooting, that team was, like, 33.5%. Yeah. You know, that's two percentage points worse. So, um, I, I think that that is a positive thing. But, yeah, I, th- I think that's kind of where it is with Jalen. You know, if you're in a game where you need a three, and, and that's kind of how it has gone, he'll come out for a stretch early in the game, and if he hits a three or two, then Self will keep playing him because he's he's got the hot hand. If he misses a couple, then maybe it's just a five-minute night, and I expect that to be the same for the NCAA tournament. I think really the only, um, because again, I, I do expect Mitch to be the first big off the bench with the exception of maybe if it is in a game where it is against stretch five, but even then, I feel like Bill Self will give Mitch life a first crack at it, and if it doesn't work, then he'll throw in Zach Clements. Um, I feel like really the only discussion of who's going to play this many minutes, who's going to play where for the rotation is, is going to be the point guard spot for the backup role between Yasufu and Remy Martin. So we'll see if Remy even comes back and, and makes that interesting. All right, we're going to take a timeout with Adam Rivetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it.